Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Stunt Plane Podcast. Folks, I'm very happy to be back with you on Sunday evening, the podcast um, recording daytime here on Sunday evening. I was about to say it. Okay, so everybody, I hope you're all doing well. Um, I, If you're wondering, but guessing I was not at the live demo uh, on Saturday, December 4th, 2021 at the Plains of Famer Museum. I was busy with a lot of stuff um, I had to take care of, so uh, I will be back next January, though. January 1st is the uh, live demo date, I presume. Uh, if not, um, I'll look that up again. So, everybody, today we're going to be doing another afternoon performance, uh, this time on the uh, Steen Skybolt with none other than, yet again, Mr. Fred Bell, the vice chairman of the Palm Springs Air Museum, will be joining us to discuss and uh, feature this uh, amazing Skybolt, the uh, one of the famous era stunt aircraft. So everybody, that's a uh, very awesome treat today. We are going to see how, what, and integrating this awesome topic is. So he's joining us for a lot. I know it's one of my favorite guests because of his intro is very awesome. So everybody, uh, we will talk to you guys on the backhand. We'll actually... Um, talk about some stuff at the end um, on what to do in the 2020. We'll talk about some announcements later, and right now, let's just get to the episode. Alright, enjoy. Gonna take a miracle mount. Alright, sorry, this ad. Alright, we'll talk to you guys in the back end. Sorry. Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Warbird Wednesday. My name is Fred Bell, and today we're moving on. You know, last week we talked about the Albatross, the C-Series, which was a reconnaissance airplane in World War One, and, and really, uh, World War One is where we saw most of the early innovation in fighter technology, and we're going to kind of keep going with that today. Now, behind me is a very cool aircraft. This is a Steen Skybolt. Now, this is a stunt biplane. It uh, had an average speed of about 145 miles an hour. Uh, it was actually designed in 1970, Greg, if you can believe that, in 1970. It has a wood wing and a steel fuselage construction, but it is a biplane, and anybody time people see biplanes, they think they're old. They think they're old technology. Well, this aircraft, the prototype, flew in 1970. There are 450 that are licensed in the U.S. and 200 abroad. This is a stunt plane. But when you look at this airplane, you don't realize that the, the idea and the design concepts that went into this airplane are actually right now over a hundred years old and we're going to go through that today now if you were going to fly a steen biplane my dally-esque assistant greg kenny you would have to be and i see what you've done here you would have to be a hot dog now this is going to flow through the whole thing last week it was a german airplane and so i was essentially goldilocks the whole time this is going to be something a little bit different and we'll uh, we'll go from there but i'm going to go ahead and toss my Wiener Schnitzel uh, headgear off camera there. We go. You're in a baseball game! Baseball game, you in hot 
dogs! You're not gonna stop laughing till you buy a hot dog! Yes, sir! You're not gonna stop crying until you get a hot dog! You don't eat nachos! You don't eat pizza! You eat hot dogs! So when we go back to the turn of the last century, back in the uh, early 1900s, we go back to 1913, that is where we go back to the flying circus terminology, which was people were starting to do some interesting things with airplanes. Uh, there are two types of airplanes, and we need to make a distinction, Greg, and I'm going to go ahead and pick up my, this is a Hawker Fury. We're going to talk about that. This is actually a 1930s design biplane. It has a couple of uh, design features that I'm going to cover that flow all the way through to this airplane. But in the early days, there was a Frenchman named Adolphe Perguad, and I totally destroyed his French name, uh, and I apologize to his family. But back in 1913, he is really considered the father of modern aerobatics. And there are, as I said, two types. There are aerobatic airplanes that are specifically designed for uh, acrobatics. And then there is aerobatics-capable aircraft. So when we talk about specific aerobatic airplanes that are designed for aerobatics, you really are talking about something like this steam behind me. Their, their wing, the fuselage, everything about them is designed to take high G, high lift, high roll rate, and, and that is they're specifically designed to do all those beautiful pirouettes and stunts in the air. Aerobatic-capable airplane, Greg, that could be a P-51. It could be a P-47. It could be an ME-109. You can do aerobatics in them, but you have to be very careful because there are things in the flight envelope. These aircraft are pretty tough and can be fairly forgiving when you're doing aerobatics. If you do certain things in a P-51 Mustang, you're going to break the tail off of it. Or in a, let's say, a P-63 in a flat spin, it's unrecoverable in a flat spin, according to the manual. People will argue that you can actually do that. You go out and recover that P-63 from a flat spin. I will sit in my lawn chair and have a beer and watch you do it. But the reality of it is, is that all people think that, especially with World War II fighters and some of the gyrations that these aircraft do, or because of video games, that every airplane can do all these jumping around in the sky. It is not the case, and very specific types have limitations. But a lot of this work goes back to 1913. Now, the term uh, aerobatics was actually uh, used in a 1914 British magazine, and then they started talking about barnstormers. So that's how far back the terminology goes. Now, it wasn't until we talked about the albatross, and here's where we're going to make full circle on this. The albatross and these observation planes were still fairly uh, docile airplanes. And if you go back and look at that albatross, you can see if you start doing a lot of wild gyrations in it, you're going to rip the wing off of it. But the, in 1915, it became very clear from a lot of both the German aces and the French aces that there were things that they could do, either a split ass or an Emmelman or various maneuvers that they would do in the air that were specifically designed to give the fighter an edge in combat, give the pilot that was in the airplane in combat. This wasn't something that they went out and said, hey, I look cool doing this. 
it was either designed to get on the tail of the other guy, right, and shoot him down, or it was designed, you had somebody on your tail, and you were going to do something that would uh, throw off the other pilot. And that's where aerobatics started. Now, in 1915, a lot of the various training schools started teaching aerobatics, and they were teaching them again in, um, it, it, as ways to break a, uh, an enemy, either get on his tail or break his ability to shoot you down. And that moved all the way through up until 1916, up 1918, where the schools kept increasing the level of skill. And by the way, the technology in the aircraft got to the point where it was, enough, it was robust enough Remember, a lot of these guys would go out and they'd do something crazy and the wing would come off the airplane. If they got killed, they didn't do it again. If they didn't get killed, they'd go back and say, hey, I did this, and the designers would make changes in the airplane. The aircraft became more and more robust as they moved away primarily from wood construction to steel frame construction with maybe a wood wing and, and, and things of that nature. So after World War One, what happened, Greg? There was a bunch of pilots, military pilots, that got dumped into the civilian ranks and they had no means of support. They couldn't support themselves. So a lot of them would do is they would buy uh, World War I surplus airplanes that had been surplused and they became barnstormers. If you want to see a great movie about this and a movie I love, which is uh, Waldo Pepper, the great Waldo Pepper, uh, that's a great movie. You can see that about barnstormers. And, and he, uh, the main character in the film, is a World War I pilot that ends up having to make a living uh, with his skills in the air. And so these barnstormers would fly all around Europe and they would uh, uh, put people in the airplanes and fly them around. They would do shows. They would do all kinds of fun stuff. There were really no safety constraints back then. If you were uh, doing this kind of stuff, you just went out and did what you did. The FAA or the early uh, Aeronautic Administration would uh, maybe keep an eye on you a little bit, but there, there weren't a lot of safety constraints. And these guys went around, and you paid them, uh, 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 at that time, maybe 25 cents, which sounds kind of crazy, to go up in the airplane, but things were a lot cheaper then. So aerobatics continued to evolve, and that evolved into the first and only World Cup of aerobatics in Paris in 1934. And then again, there were some aerobatic demonstrations at the... Uh, Olympics in 1936, and that was uh, was primarily organized by the Germans, who by that time were in their early stages of rearming, and what they were doing is a lot of work in gliders and getting people excited about aviation. The Germans understood in that interwar period that uh, aviation and getting people excited about aviation was going to allow them to rearm, and so they were doing a ton of work in gliders. In the United States, you have the uh, Jimmy Doolittle, and we think about him with the uh, with the raid on Tokyo, 30 seconds over Tokyo. But Jimmy Doolittle was a stunt pilot, and one of his famous maneuvers, and I've actually done this, Craig, is an outside loop, which is not fun. I did not enjoy doing an outside loop. I, I did it one time. I was in an airplane, did it one time, and I said, that's enough. I'm done. You can have the outside loop. But Jimmy Doolittle used to uh, uh, go around and he would do those kind of stunts and get people excited about that. And so that was where we were in the mid-30s. Now, I am going to go ahead and put my little fury down. We're going to come back to that 
cute little airplane there in a minute. Thank you, Greg, if we can call an airplane cute. And we're going to move on to our slew today. Now, as Greg, Greg has, if you were flying this airplane, you were a hot dog. He's followed this all the way through. And that is today I have my dog and suds root beer. Hmm. Dog and suds. Uh, I don't know who, 170 calories. So you're taking me back up on the calorie count there, Greg. It is a drive-in style root beer. Hmm. I don't know what that is. There is no sell-by date. And as Greg gets these at the 7-Eleven in Death Valley, I may uh, end up uh, dying of, I uh, keep looking for that uh, botulism poisoning. But uh, we have this, uh, this very interesting root beer. To all you hot dog aerobatic pilots, I salute you. Without you, we would not know a lot of what we know about airplanes today. Cheers. Okay, that's a home run. Good job, Greg. After two really horrific sodas, I can actually take another swig of this. I may keep this one. Other than it's just incredibly hot out here, and this is not at room temperature, but it's not super cold. It's pretty good, Greg. Good job. So, in the interwar period, you had, and we've talked about the Stearman and some of these aircraft, but you, I'm going to throw this plan view up of this, uh, this Fury. Greg can throw a plan view up, but you're starting to see the the elements of what we're going to know as biplanes going forward. Uh, we've now got a, a V engine, maybe a Lycoming engine in there. Some of these aircraft had radials, but a steel cowling, steel or fiberglass cowling. You still have fabric on the wings, but we're dealing with uh, uh, wood as a substructure and metal, typically a metal frame. The strut landing gear, landing gear may be different. This one actually looks like it has a, uh, a radiator, radiator down underneath it. Um, the tailplane, big tail, uh, big tail horizontal, and a rudder ailerons. But this is about the apex of um, biplane design. And the reason was the simple physics. They just they there was a, they hit the wall in technology, and there's a reason they went to low wing monoplanes, and then they went off to jets. So at that point, uh, we went into World War II, and people. Uh, aerobatics ended, you know, and we were focused on the war. The training of aerial maneuvers did not. And the aerobatic test, aerobatics moved into flight tests and, and a lot of testing. And as it became more formalized from just go up and break it and bring it back, it, and we started to get, uh, we had slide rule work, but we were starting to get into early computers uh, and early uh, uh, wind tunnel test designs and things of that nature, uh, you had that fork in the road where it went off to flight test and a lot of these what we'd call hot dog pilots ended up in military test flight test schools and then some of them moved off after the war into stunt flying and stunt flying for air shows after World War II when the air shows restarted. But they were still kind of moving across these two paths where uh, you would find something over here and it had a military application in aviation and it would cross over into some of these airplanes, whether it was helicopters, commercial airplanes for 
shows and things of that nature. Now, the shows that we see today uh, and the commercial air shows that we see involve very, very little. Some of the stunt performers, one of the airplanes that moved out of uh, after a post-war that was very popular was the 1940s, the Pitts, this Pitts special, which is what a lot of people equate to stunt flying. But there were a lot of these purpose-built stunt biplanes that were uh, had no relationship. They moved away from being World War One surplus aircraft or World War Two surplus aircraft to purpose-built stunt performers, and uh, they uh, continue to perform today. Now, there's one thing you cannot do. These aircraft, these propeller-driven aircraft, will perform in an envelope that you cannot. You see some stunt, what you would call a jet aircraft performers doing some uh, pretty radical maneuvers in jets, but that's pretty much far in between. Greg can maybe find some jet guys in post that are doing some crazy stuff. Probably the one that I've seen the most, uh, the craziest maneuver I've ever seen in a uh, in a modern jet fighter is the Cobra maneuver, the Russian Cobra maneuver where they stand the aircraft, you know, on end. Uh, you've seen some of the low speed stuff where you the jets really throw show off their thrust to weight ratio at, at low speed and high angle of attack. But a Russian Cobra maneuver is probably the most, the craziest maneuver I've ever seen in a fighter. Now, you may have one that you have seen, and, you know, throw it down in the comments. I don't have a corner on that. Now, if you get to the museum and you're actually interested in this Steen biplane, we're in the process of getting it ready to go in. It is going to be in the cafe inverted in our uh, B-17 hangar. So when you come to lunch, you'll be able to see the steamed biplane rolling over your head, which is kind of fun, Greg. Now, if you're interested in being a hot dog in the air, I can't help you get a steamed biplane. Unfortunately, Greg, we just don't have those laying around that we can sell. But we can help you be an air pirate. This is a Stokes original. We fly under this banner. This is the, uh, the crossed uh, props and our little American flag. And we are air pirates. We're an independent uh, flying museum. And so if you want to grab one of these, this is a Stan Stokes original artwork with the gothic lettering. Get out to the website. Jason will click on that link. Jason will be happy to mail one of the, those to you. So we hope you enjoyed this episode today on our YouTube channel. Yeah, we hope that we earned your subscription. Hit that subscribe button. Like us on YouTube. Like us on Facebook. Remember, we cannot do this kind of work and restore these airplanes and maintain them without your donation. So click on that donation link. And remember, if you want to get out and get that shirt, hit the link there as well. My name is Fred Bell. I am the vice chairman of the Palm Springs Air Museum. Thanks very much for joining us.
Advil targets pain at the source, while acetaminophen blocks pain signals. Advil Dual Action.